0: Hey, there we go. <laughs> we're we're doing things remotely today. Well, I'm I'm actually here, but Rich is remote, and uh, not sure why that was going on that way. Anyway, um, I was actually just uh, looking over some of the material that has come in for the new studio in the RV, and I'm not sure when all of that's being put together. Rich has plans within plans, uh, but I leave I. Th- I think the 30th, if I recall correctly, maybe a little bit before that. I'm not sure. So uh, we're coming up pretty quick on uh, our first uh, on the road trip dividing line from the new studio. It, it won't be completely finished. I have some ideas that will take a little while to uh, initialize, shall we say. Uh, but uh, we should be able to do something other than sit at the kitchen table uh, this time around, and uh, I'm excited about that, and I hope you are too, uh, as we have a lot of plans to do neat things while I'm on the road, because I'm going to be on the road a lot. This next trip's 25 days, uh, the one in July is 33 days, and I haven't even started booking September, which will include G3, uh, the uh, G3 pre-conference uh, put on by GBTS, which is... Um, where the rest of the staff roasts James White. <laughs> sort of looks like what it's going to be, but we'll see uh, how all that turns out. And um, uh, obviously I need to start making contacts as to coming and going from, uh, from Atlanta and uh, where we're, how we're going to get there. And I know there's at least one church down in Louisiana that really wanted to do something. Uh, you've got to understand, I love folks in Louisiana. Uh, they're the nicest, nicest folks you ever run into. But I have to really love them to drive on Louisiana roads. Guess <laughs> I'm going to tell you. Oh, baby. Uh, New Mexico, Louisiana, so far in my experience, bottom of the barrel as far as the highway departments are concerned. It's just like, oh, there are some. Uh, Let's just say I'm glad I've got a big four-wheel drive to get out of some of the, some of the potholes <laughs> that I've run into on freeways, on interstate freeways in both of those particular states. Um, uh, anyway, so, yep, got to get down there. You guys are great folks. Just need to do something about those roads. Anyway, if you're like me, you probably have been sitting around recently, especially you start seeing the numbers coming out. And asking yourself the question, I don't know how much this Dylan Mulvaney guy—and he is a guy—is getting paid. And I, the first time I saw that guy prancing around like a fairy, um, and, and literally—I mean, he was trying to act like a little girl, like a little like a little fairy princess type thing. I mean, that's what he was doing. And, and I saw one just recently, just from a few weeks ago, where he's. Got teddy bears and just, it's just, anyway, I, I, the first time I saw it happening, I said, this isn't for real. This, this is not for real. He may go for a long time, but someday he's, he's going to come out and he's going to grow his beard out and he's going to go, got y'all and became a millionaire doing it because he could. Uh, I don't think he's done the surgery stuff. So, um, yeah. Anyway, you've probably seen the numbers. I've seen as high as $5 billion loss. Um, Not just in sales, but in value of stock and things like that. And Anheuser-Busch, which is actually owned from outside the United States. And I I don't know what they're paying him. He's... He's set for life one way or the other. Uh, but you, if you're like most just regular, plain human beings, you're sitting around going, uh, isn't this really stupid? I, I mean, aren't, aren't you supposed to have spokespeople that are... You're supposed to sell more of your product? Couldn't they see this coming? And I'm starting to see a lot of discussion... Of people saying, doesn't matter. This is all about index scoring and how your company is looked at by these people that are functioning on ESG, DEI, blah, 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 blah. I'll be honest with you. Hey, and I mean, I say this to my Christian brothers and sisters too. If you're going to throw around specialized terminology and acronyms, please define them because there's sometimes I'm just left going. Okay. I, it, it's a little bit like, um, the debate with, um, the fellow in, uh, Tullahoma who just, I'm looking out at the audience and everybody in the audience just staring at him going, are we going to come to a point? Are you going to slow down enough? You going to explain something at some point, maybe possibly. Why are we here? I don't know. um, Yeah, we don't want to do that. We need to, we have some idea of what all this stuff is about. Anyway, uh, I guess the idea is that you can get loans and it's all about the score that you have. And the people in charge, their pay is frequently tied to these, these scores that are produced by they're not governmental agencies. They, they don't actually have any authority outside of the fact that they represent the minorities. They represent LGBTQI PP, RSTUV, WXYZ, All this rest of this stuff, and these people have all the power. It's not. It's 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 not been gained validly. It's not by argumentation. It's not by having connection to history. It's based on fear. These CEOs, these companies are cowards. They're just, they, have, they, they won't stand up for anything that's right because the preparation that has been done for decades now in the United States in the educational system that has resulted in a, a collapsed, inoperable worldview. A humanistic secular worldview you know you know people I, I keep hearing people saying, What kind of a parent would take their child to a drag show, and I say, the children of the preceding generation that are now fully secularized because they have they have no moral formation. see moral formation comes from not only an educational system that forces you to deal with ethical and moral issues, but it, it comes from a religious formation as well. It's a process. And that's gone. You, you listen to these, you know, I'm watching right now, I'm watching a homeschool mom walking out with her son. There's a homeschool place near us. And, um, I have a security camera over here and it's focused on my truck because <laughs> I sort of want the tires and stuff to be on it when I get back out there. And I live in Phoenix now and Phoenix is LA East. And, uh, so I'm, so you get to see homeschool families, uh, pretty young ladies in long dresses. <laughs> um, and I just, I'm just right now watching a homeschool mom walking out with a, Big box of curriculum, and a young man there that has no idea, no idea how fortunate he is. I try to tell my grandkids, and I and I with with the most serious grandfatherly look, I can pull off, and I can I can pull off a grandfather look today, (laughs) better than I ever could before. Um, I try to explain to them how blessed they are because it's so easy to go, well, you know, I don't get to do this, that and other thing that kids do at regular school. You have no idea the blessing God has placed in your life that you are not in that moral meat grinder called the public school. You know, it's true. One thing I know that's true is the vast majority of homeschooled kids can get their work done in much less time than when they are in public school. And have far more time to learn much more about life. Do things with mom and dad. Have chores. Yep, chores. Things that need to be done, things that are teaching you to, to do things, to, to to be a functional adult, and likewise to have interaction with your with your with your siblings. I I was watching. Well, I I was going to pull it up, and I can't. Yeah, I can't. Unfortunately, well, can I? Um, you know, it's possible, but but it's going to be hard because I'll be very distracted uh in the process, oh wait a minute <laughs> uh, let me see here I might be able well, but see i don't rich are you able to to put my uh screen up because I thought I saw my screen up at one point um There I am with um Cadence and Clementine outside the Easter pageant. You got it? It was up there for a second. I saw it up on the screen. There it is. There we are last Saturday evening uh, outside the Easter pageant. Hadn't really started yet. I mean it's sort of early on. But um with Cadence and Clementine, I loved that there there was there was once I was looking around for him and I couldn't see him. You, you can put it down now. Um, and I I looked around, looked around, and I, fa- I saw Cadence talking to this guy in a... Um... <laughs> but where did he go? There he is. Um, Cadence is talking to this guy in a scooter. That reminds me. I said I was going to get him something. I still need to do that. Um and so I walked over, and, and the guy ended up being a member of the United Church of Christ. So that conversation was pretty interesting. No two ways about it. Um, but then word started getting around that all the missionaries had been told they could not say anything to us. They could not talk with us. So Clementine just goes scooting across. the. She sees two missionaries staying over in front of the visitor center. So she just goes scooting, scooting across the street and just walks up to him. Is it true that you all can't talk to us? Why do you think that might be? (laughs) Uh, The young ones, the young ones, honestly, I think get more tracks out um, than us older folks do. They really do. Um, As far as just straight old um, track distribution is concerned, uh, they, they do a, they do a great job. Anyway, uh, those young ladies, it's very, very, very easy, I think, for them to be told, you know, well, you're missing out on this. And I think, no, they have no earthy idea. And I love watching the interaction between Cadence and Clementine. Um, I, honestly, uh, Sunday night, I was watching them goofing off like sisters do and giggling about stuff that sisters giggle about. And I just could not get, and this, I'm dating myself here badly, badly, but I could not get the song from White Christmas out of my mind. Remember that? That was 19, what was that, 1955? Somewhere around there. I, I was not born in 55, I was born just a few years after that. Um, but there was a song that, they, that, uh, Rosemary Clooney and the real pretty blonde. She only did pretty much that movie. She was an incredible dancer, Um, almost anorexic. But anyway, uh, they sang um, a song called Sisters. And I, I just couldn't, I couldn't keep it out of my, out of my mind as I'm watching Cadence and Clementine. And I'm from my vantage point down the road, I'm sitting there going, do they have any idea? How precious it is to have the relationship that they have right now. I, I just don't. I don't think you can know that until later on in life, unless you're wise enough to listen to your elders, who are trying to tell you, "You have got it good. You have got it so good." Even when you're doing your chores, you're learning responsibility. You're learning to do things. You. I mean, those girls. Oh, I know. I know. I know. I know. Some of you are going, get to the theology part. We don't care about this. Well, it's all t- tied together. Um, the girls stayed over at our house. Um, I don't know, was that about a month ago? Overnight, I think two nights. And one morning, uh, I was like, man, I'd love to have an egg. And so Caden's and Clementine said, we'll have a contest. We'll each make you an egg, and you have to tell us who did it better. <laughs> so I I leave the kitchen. I go in the other room, and they come walking in. Uh, one, I think, was so, like, over easy. The other was scrambled, which is what I normally have and stuff. And they had just – they got out the, the, the pans. They did the, 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 They did it all on their own, and I don't think I could have done that at their age. And it was great. I had to call it a draw. It was, it was uh, you know, what are you supposed to do? Um, but it was so neat to see just what a fantastic job um, Eric and Summer are doing with, uh, with the kids and, and homeschooling them and, and raising them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And, of course, I've had the opportunity of baptizing both of those girls. And uh, that's certainly a highlight. Of of life as well, and uh, so what? A, what a tremendous advantage that they have! That they they have the opportunity at this young age of having moral and ethical formation to be faced with these issues, not just a not just a uh, to be forced into a way of thinking by peer pressure in the public indoctrination centers that we all have to pay for to tunes of thousands of dollars per year. So anyways all this coming back to this is this is where the next generation is uh, when you look at the when you look at the surveys of the um claimed sexualities of the generations and you look at generation Z nearly 20% claiming to be LGBTQ+. You know that's not possible. You know that's not real. But you can force people into these self-destructive behaviors because they're not looking at the future. They've been, they have not been taught to look at the future because their parents don't look at the future. Their parents are focused upon themselves, and not the future. Therefore, they have no role models other than to, you know, um. Uh, Follow that line, and the result is the destruction of a once great nation. There's no question about it. There's no question about that at all. And so that's what we're that's what we're looking at as we as we look at you know the numbers on the uh, election of a pro murder Supreme Court justice. To the Supreme Court was it Michigan or Wisconsin? One of the two. Anyways up there, and the information coming out that it was primarily college students that created the eleven point gap in that con in that contest and that's what's coming These people will overthrow the constitution they will they will embrace any kind of self destruct they will bring this nation down because they don't know anything else to do they they are they are Ethically and morally malformed, and there is only one thing can fix that. there's only one thing can change that. And we all know what it is. Um, so uh, anyway, I'm also looking at a picture we before we went out to the Easter pageant last week, we had family pictures taken. I did survive, by the way, guys, those of you who who contacted me and I had made mention of it on the program. And uh, I've only seen one of the pictures so far because you know, it takes photographer time to do it but it's a beautiful picture my wife cannot take a bad picture she can't from the time that we met it is astonishing she can't take a bad picture even when i've tried to catch her she hates me doing that just careful (laughs) um if i ever if i ever do disappear because i was trying to take a picture of my wife when she didn't want me to um but she's, it's this beautiful picture of her, and she's holding Ransom. And Ransom is, that point, is at, at that point of development in that first year where he's able to judge distances. And so he knows when mom or dad are getting too far away and he's being held by someone who isn't mom or dad. Or Cadence or Clem, uh, or even Janny. He has, I told him when he was born, he has four mommies, and he does. But even when Nani's holding us, mommy can't wander too far off. And the the concerned look on his face. I I Lord willing, um, in the not too distant future, when we attend his his wedding, if they still allow such things, it may, it may have to be done in secret, like in Braveheart. Um but uh I would just love, love, love. Oh my goodness. Wow. I, I'm just I'm just sitting here and this video pops up on my Twitter feed and it's people uh robbing a couple from a motorcycle. And the guy just runs off. It's like, wow. Anyway, um, that, that picture will end up, we will end up using that picture for the wedding thing. You know, you run the pictures and embarrassing pictures of like that. Speaking of which, you know, I've, I've been talking, I think about talking about this and we are going to switch topics here, but the level of evil that scrolls across our screen Um, y'all saw over over the past month and a half I've seen incredible murders on Twitter most of them are in Chicago Um, almost all are black on black violence this is uh, two black guys robbing uh, a white guy and a white gal Um, but the heartlessness, the, the brutality, the there it's not only there's no fear of God before their eyes. I mean, people try to criticize Romans 1 and Romans 3 for being uh, too dark and too down on mankind. Are you kidding me? Just watch Twitter for a week and, and you'll go, Paul was a cockeyed optimist. It's not just there's no fear of God before their eyes. There is no recognition of their own humanity before their eyes. That's the end result. That's that's the result of generation after generation after generation of blinded eyes. So much light around and squinting and, and saying, no, I... I, I will not do that. I will not follow that perspective. I will not go there. Um, it, it's truly frightening because there's, there, is, there is no human way to deal with this kind of behavior. Um, in a just society these individuals would be executed quickly. And somehow, some kind of, we hate God's law, we don't like God's law, we don't like what God's law says has crept so deeply into the bones of even evangelicals that we can literally sit back, look at the American criminal system, realize that what the American criminal system does Because it rejects God's law, it rejects the execution of murderers, it rejects the execution of rapists, Um, and it does not do restitution. Instead, it's a system of slavery. what, what What do you call it when you take someone, take away all their property, and put them in a cage? That's called enslavement. And so you, you just become a slave for a certain period of time. Now there was a time when you, you actually couldn't work to make restitution and stuff like that. I, I don't know if that even exists any longer. It's probably been rendered illegal or something. I don't know. But this isn't a just society and this isn't a, a just legal system any longer. Now it just does enslavement rather than actual punishment for these kinds of crimes. And of course, I know, on the mouth in the mouth of two or three witnesses, you, you have to have some element of the Spirit of God working in a society, granting common grace, or it is just simply anarchy. And when it gets to the point of anarchy, that's when people cry out for Control and that's where you get tyranny and instead of the tyranny of the many which is anarchy you get tyranny of the few which is totalitarianism there's only one way to avoid it but right now this society has no intention of doing that one word called repentance and sadly the church has no intention of saying repentance either just doesn't it just doesn't not i am not even talking about the radical left wing nut job heretics out there I'm talking about in the vast majority of sound churches you won't repentance what's that never heard of it anyway um okay so last on the last program um I responded to the first half hour of a presentation by Dr. Michael Cardy at the Shepherds Conference and wanted to engage various of the issues um, about methodology, sources, to once again try to explain to folks, hey, these are my concerns. Uh, This is why I think that this uh, scholastic methodology is not an advancement at all. Um, it will not, see, scholasticism will not produce, you know, there, there are some classical biblical commentaries that were written in the last century. Uh, I think John Murray's work on Romans is just, just a masterpiece. It's wonderful. Um, and there were numerous other commentaries in John and the Gospels and but if you are a uh, concerned, active layperson, you 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 buy commentaries. You want to do work. You want to all that kind of stuff. Um, you will very quickly discover that there are different kinds of commentaries, and especially when you buy a commentary in a quote-unquote scholarly series, you will find that the devotional, theological, and even contextually exegetical content gets buried, the more the commentary seeks to... Show off its scholarly acumen, or the more scholastic it is. So, you will very often invest a ridiculous amount of money, even if you buy it electronically, in Logos or Accordance or whatever. Um. You will run into these commentaries where you you will go for pages of. Discussion of what Boltmann said, and what Bart said, and um, just all sorts of establishing your, your credentials, shall we say, in citing this and citing that. And very often you're just looking for some some light on a, on a difficult phrase, or how was this understood at that time? and you don't get it. Or you get, it barely gets touched on at the very end, and you're like, I'm not really sure how they got there, and man, I'm really confused by having read everything that I had to read to get here. And that's a form of scholasticism. I think most of that should be in footnotes if you're going to do it. Um, there are times when you have to deal with textual issues, historical issues, and. You know, some commentaries that the their intention is to go, this is how this group's understood it, and this is how this group's understood it, and this group over here, and okay, those aren't my favorites. My shelves are filled with them, but they're not my favorites. But that's a form of scholasticism. And it doesn't the scholastic method, whenever it has become predominant. by its very nature, does not bring the sheep of Christ into the process. In fact, to protect the position of the scholars who practice scholarship and scholasticism, obviously connected, terminologically speaking, there is a uh, purposeful utilization of specialized terminology that makes the lay person dependent upon the scholar to come to the final conclusions. I've often thought, and it's been my goal in in my ministry, to take difficult issues and actually bring everybody into the conversation, make them um, understandable, explainable, useful. I've done that with textual criticism. I've done that with all sorts of theological issues, even issues relating to the Quran and Islam or Mormonism or whatever. You explain what you're talking about. You make it understandable to as, as wide an audience as you possibly can. It, I'm not saying that there aren't some times where it's okay to sit around and speak scholar scholars, but those should be the exception, certainly not the rule. And so, going back to what I was saying, there's been some tremendous commentaries in the last century that will stand the test of time. And they required scholarship on the part of the author. But the author then made it understandable to a very wide audience. And that's what edifies the body. Scholasticism, whenever it has become predominant, has left the lay people out it's it's meant for people who just love all the details and stuff and i get it i get it i i've sat around with uh, i I think of one time I, i sat around with a um textual critical scholar and can't imagine what people sitting around us in a restaurant would have thought or were thinking as they listened to us having a very, very in-depth, very, very technical, very, very few people in the world would understand what we were talking about conversation. It's appropriate for that type of thing to happen, but it can't be the goal and it can't be the norm. Because if, if you're having that kind of conversation does not result in your ability to then explain to the non-technical person the relevance to their life and to God's truth of what you're talking about at some other context, then you were probably either just stroking your own ego uh, or wasting your time. One of the two. That's my opinion on things, anyways. And so, when we did the uh, program on uh, Tuesday... I had no idea. I had no idea that Credo Magazine uh, and Matthew Barrett is the guy giving direction there, was dropping that day uh, an entire issue, Volume 14, Issue 1, 2023, Reformed and Scholastic is the front cover. Credo, Reformed and scholastic and here's uh let's just take a look at it here uh ryan mcgraw uh, what is reformed scholasticism our reformed fathers use scholasticism to convey orthodoxy uh christopher cleveland truly uh, john owen truly reformed, truly scholastic Peter Salmons from Masters, Jerome Zanke, Our Forgotten Scholastic Forefather. I'll be looking a little bit at that. Uh, Owen Anderson, Stephen Sharnock, The Clarity of God's Existence and Providence, uh, Francis Turretin, but then um, under uh, Columns, First Principles, Reformed Scholasticism, The Reformation as Renewal, Retrieving the One Holy, Catholic, and Apostolic Church. Of course, it's the name of Barrett's book. Um, Wholesome Protestant Doctrine, Gold in My Own Backyard by Timothy Gatewood. I think, could be wrong, I saw some discussion about this, that Timothy Gatewood is Matthew Barrett's assistant. I could be wrong about that. I was just seeming that was the connection that was being made. Steve Meister shows up from up in uh, Sacramento, Reform scholastics in the pulpit. The need for clarity and consistency in the ministry of the word. Well, there is a need for clarity and consistency in the ministry of the word, but I can guarantee you one thing. Scholasticism will never provide it. That was one of the things the reformers were responding against at that particular point in time. Um, there is an interview between R. Scott Clark and Timothy Gatewood. Why? You should change your mind about Reformed Scholasticism. Um, if you love the Puritans, then you already love the Reformed Scholastics, Joel Beakey. Protestant Scholasticism is the historical link that binds us to the Reformation, Richard Muller. Um, et etc. et cetera. Uh, Oh, an ad fontis approach to Aquinas. Of course, got to get Aquinas in there someplace. Uh, it's just required. Now, this was, um, this, this, need to find the, um, dee, d dee, d dee, 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 where'd it go? Oh, I must've put it in the other program. This was also the episode, episode, the, uh, issue, April 12th, 2023, Derek Bright has an article, Was John Calvin a Biblicist? Now, Derek Bright, I responded to at the end of the last program. And we went through all sorts of just slanderously bad argumentation and accusations against me that Derek Bright was making. So it it struck me as ironic that it was the same day. uh, Well, actually, this came out yesterday, so right before, a few hours before, Credo Magazine was going to be dropping with articles like this. And he echoes a number of the accusations he makes here. But here's, once again, when one person utilizes straw man argumentation, that reflects upon the one person. When an entire movement is dedicated to the use of straw man argumentation, then you start wondering what's really going on. So here is a paragraph from uh, Derek Bright in Credo. Uh, Was Calvin a biblicist? The answer is a resounding no. So here's, here's a paragraph. Biblicism can be defined as a rejection of everything that is not explicitly made clear or stated in Holy Scripture, thus eschewing secondary authorities such as creeds and confessions in favor of the Bible as the only authority. Now, by now, most of us are just tired of having to respond to this kind of simplistic, dishonest argumentation. We're we're tired of it. We've spent... Quite some time um, making very clear distinctions and arguing from original sources that there is a reformed biblicism, that this reflects, is reflected when I presented this in Calvin's response to Sadaletto, which. Y'all ever heard of Heiko Obermann? Ever heard of Heiko Obermann? Um, One of the most famous church historians of the last century. And he finished off his career teaching at the University of Arizona in Tucson, Arizona, which is about 90 minutes down the road from me here. And I had the opportunity in... I think it was 89, if I recall correctly, of attending a doctoral seminar in his home. I was looking at possibly, it was a six-year PhD program. And I was just looking at what would even be possible financially, with, with Alvin Omega Ministries, you know, stuff like that. And so I was invited down. And so I attended a seminar in Dr. Oberon's home in I guess I would call that would that be northeast Tucson? It seemed to me or my recollection. Tucson's obviously grown a lot since then. So anyway. Guess what the subject was? Yeah. It was Calvin's response to Satellito. And so this is a this is a topic. It was becoming important to me at that time because 89 is when I'm just starting... I mean, the first uh, debate we had with Roman Catholicism is 90. So I'm already having a lot of the encounters. And so I'm, you know, all the way through seminary, I've been dealing with Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, stuff like that. Now we're doing, you know, now during seminary, I've finally had a really good church history professor. And so I'm... Um, reading in that area voraciously. And uh, so this was perfect to have the opportunity to listen in for many hours on an in-depth discussion of the context and background of Calvin's response to Adiletto. So that's one of the reasons why I utilize that as uh, sort of my resourcement for trying to accurately uh, point out that john calvin did not use the scholastic methodology of the medieval period that does not mean he didn't use language does not mean he didn't use certain terms or things like that but if you can't tell the difference between reading the summa and reading the institutes then you're not really paying much attention and i'm not sure you really have anything to say this whole subject anyways They obviously did not want to use Peter Lombard. They didn't want to use the sentences. They did not want to reproduce the dry, crusted-over scholasticism that had enshrined the soul-decaying coldness of false Roman Catholic teaching that they themselves, you know, post Tenebrous Lux after darkness, light. What was the darkness? Can you seriously say that the scholastic method of the medieval period was not part of the darkness? And why would it be part of the darkness? Because the scholastic method, as seen in Thomas Aquinas, is not based upon, it does not draw its life from the highest view and understanding of Sola Scriptura. In fact, it's interesting. I forgot to do something. Sorry. Okay. Um Sorry. I had to turn the uh volume off on the phone there. Um the the scholastic method in the medieval period would allow you to do debates and disputations and all sorts of fun stuff like that but what it was missing is what i have criticized over and over again and i have not heard anybody on the other side even try even try to um defend thomas at this point you know i've heard People say, oh, you need to read Thomas's uh, commentaries. Uh, <clears> or <throat> can sometimes, uh, once in a while, infrequently, but uh, once in a while be great. <laughs> it's like, okay, all right. So we've walked through Romans 4, and we've looked at this passage and that passage, and we've looked at stuff on tradition. And, and when, I, when I wrote my article for uh, the GPTS journal, I was very fair to Thomas contextualized him recognized where he was and while the points is he was at a time in history where there had been centuries of creeping diminishment of the centrality of the scriptures over against an ever hardening thickening Superstructure of tradition. and this is how he can look at the text in Romans four and come up with three different kinds of sin rather than seeing the beauty of justification by faith. It's because of that frozen structure of tradition that becomes the lens and hence the ultimate authority. So I was fair to him. Uh, I don't see a lot of people being overly honest with him on that level amongst the scholastics. Every system eventually, every... You you, you look at the history of the church from, say, the 6th century up through the Reformation, and it's going to repeat even after the Reformation. There are periods of renewal. Many of the uh, monastic movements were started by people who wanted to see spiritual renewal. They saw a fundamental degradation taking place, and they wanted to get rid of all that. But what's, what does history show you? As soon as that, that new renewal becomes popular, it starts attracting people, and eventually, especially after the originators die off, which they did faster back then than they do now. Um, you have the development of scholasticism. You end up there's a, there's a reformed scholasticism, there's an arminian scholasticism, there's a there's a methodist wesleyan scholasticism. Everybody develops that period of scholasticism over the next generations. Part of that's necessary in the sense of codifying and answering questions that the original folks were too busy doing their Reformation thing to actually respond to. But much of it is simply due to human nature. Human nature wants to tame Reformation movements. And make it something you can put in a book. And so, over and over and over and over again through church history, you have had people seeking to do something good and right and proper. And then a few decades down the road, you end up with a dry husk of what they initially had envisioned now I would say that the one thing that the reformed movement has that many of the other movements did not have and cannot have was a commitment to sola scriptura and tota scriptura and hence, there, is, there always has to be, and, and if, if, if a person wants to be at all, quote unquote, confessional, they have to at least say what the confession says. So there is always this emphasis upon this very high view of what Scripture is, and hence its primacy in the origination of our theology and our practice and our beliefs. And that works as a counterbalance against the coldness and deadness of reformed orthodoxy. Because you can... there. Look at Europe. Look at the northern European nations that had the brightest lights within them. Had the brightest lights within them. In Reformed theology and Reformed history. Where are they today? Netherlands? Just think of the Dutch theologians. But where's the Dutch church today? All those Northern European nations had Believing Lutherans, Dutch Reformed, they had the Bible everywhere. Where are they today? You can have all the correct theology in the world if it is not Spirit-born and Spirit-applied. It will become dead orthodoxy. A stench in God's nostrils. A stench in God's nostrils. And the problem is that the scholastic movements, unless they are constantly reined in by the need to be doing serious exegesis, founding their beliefs not in speculation and self-citation and, well, this scholar says this and that scholar says that, so we start building up what do, you, what do you start doing? You start building up traditions. You start building up traditions. The tenebrous comes back as the looks becomes less and less bright. And every generation has to fight to keep what's central, central. Because the tendency is to move away from that. Into a form of scholasticism that becomes cold and dry, so I said in the last program what what has happened that we've gone from you know in the in the eighties early nineties, this reformed movement wasn't the first time it had happened in history, but it we all recognized, hey, something's going on here. God's using men um, like R.C. Sproul and this message of God's sovereign grace, um, you think of what happened with the um, Catholics and Evangelicals Together stuff and the strong reaction against that and the the examination of, of what really matters and what bound us together? Well, we were still a pretty small group. And yeah, we had a great history, and everybody had the purple set of Stephen Sharnock sitting on their on their shelf, but they weren't going, well, you know, uh, Sharnock um, you know, seems to be using terminology that Thomas used here, and therefore we need to be resourcing Thomas. And it's like, no, nobody was doing that. We wanted to get people to understand God's sovereignty and the primacy and power of grace and reading Thomas Aquinas isn't going to get you there. Because for every good thing he said, he then vitiated that by his practice because of the day he lived in and the traditions he submitted himself to. So we weren't going there back then. we needed to get the word out to more and more people and so we were united and we weren't we weren't parsing every little word that someone would use i'm not sure if you're actually viewing god as actus purus with that term do you have your are you really recognizing the inseparable operations that flow from Thomas's understanding of divine simplicity? We weren't doing that. There were a bunch of people out there that were sitting there saying you can't believe in divine election and be an evangelist. That's so much more important. So we were reunited. We could all get together. Hasn't taken long couple decades, for the scholasticism to come back in. And the one thing scholasticism can never do, and will never do, is unite. Because you see, you can always be more scholastically correct than somebody else. And you can always look over at somebody else and go, well, you know, I'm not sure that person over there uh, quite accurately applies the um, you know the principles that I've come to understand and it divides fractures sends people off in different directions it doesn't unite now the argu- the argument of course is yes we as long as we all agree <laughs> <laughs> and and I you know I get why Protestants don't see this. I I get it. I get it. But do you have any idea how many different perspectives there are out there just on Thomas Aquinas amongst the Dominicans? Just just amongst them. The articles flying back and forth and the disagreements? (laughs) Yeah. It's, yeah, it's it doesn't unite. It doesn't unite. So anyway, um, back to this paragraph really quickly because I'm out of time. Um, Derek Bright's definition of biblicism is laughable. It's a straw man. It has to be. They can't deal with the biblicism that Calvin actually presented in an honest, fair fashion. It goes on to say, This type of argumentation, which also led to a rejection of the use of Aristotelian metaphysics. Then notice, Checked out this sentence, which also led to the rejection of the use of Aristotelian metaphysics, the trinity, etc. So you put Aristotelian metaphysics and the trinity right next to each other. Wow. Where is this being taught? You, you, you actually went there. I wonder if he really would believe that you can't have the Trinity without Aristotelian metaphysics. I've heard some guys getting that close. That's real. Um, That's real scholasticism. There. It's absurd. It's the end of anything Protestant. It's the end of any supremacy of Scripture. But wow. Mm, Okay. Uh, This type of argumentation, which also led to a rejection of the use of the Trinity, etc., historically originated from the Socinians. Ah, oh. today the term has been co-opted by some in the Reformed Church as a contrast to the teachings of the Great Tradition. Who do you think that's about? Hi. This has led to great confusion at best and at worst, an outright undermining of the Reformed faith. So now you have now you have Credo Magazine publishing Derek Bright saying that if you hold to biblicism, which we will straw man and be dishonest about, then you're a Sassanian and you're going to deny the Trinity and uh, you are uh, contrasting this to the teachings of the great tradition. Capital G, capital T. There you go. There you go. And you all all, every time you folks are going we're not doing anything about the great tradition and stuff like that and I just go yeah give it about six months. Give it about six months. And here's... Is this leading to unity? No, it's leading to straw man misrepresentation. And scholasticism has a long history of it. A long history of it. I was going to look at some of the comments from Peter Salmons, but we've we've gone way over. But there are some fascinating... I, I just... To all of you... Who are going, I just think you're overreacting and all the rest of this stuff. Um, just just open up your own browser and go to credo, credomag.com. Click on it. Uh, read Dr. Salmon's article. Read it for yourself. And just ask yourself a simple question. When did this start being taught at Masters? Because it wasn't for decades on end. Decades on end. That's a fact that cannot be argued. Now, if you want to defend it, come straight out. Do it. Like I said last time. But let's be open about it, shall we? Okie dokie. All righty. Went a couple minutes over there. But that's how things go. Thanks for watching the program today. Like I said, um, we're putting the, the uh, we're, we're gathering the materials. I saw some lights out there and cameras and uh, everything else. Um, if you go to uh, aomin.org, go to the donate button, pull down that menu. Bottom one there is how you can help. Um, did I mention, you know, see, this is where it'd be nice if Rich was sitting over there, even though we're both so old now, we sort of just normally just stare at each other and go, I don't know. Um, (laughs) but I had a wonderful lady in Cedar City, Utah, one of the two nights that I was speaking there a couple weeks ago, uh, before the snowpocalypse. In fact, I was told it was snowing in Salt Lake again today. Oh, good grief. Anyway, um, she, she was greeting me afterwards. I was getting ready to leave and she said, now, um, be careful driving now and and get the um, knob for the kitchen drawer that I bought safely to where you're going. And for a moment, I'm like, and then it clicked in. What she was saying was she hasn't been able to donate a lot, but she's donated to the travel to the uh, uh, bottom one, (laughs) the mobile studio fund. And therefore, uh, one of the uh, knobs on one of the uh, drawers in the kitchen, that's hers. She, she paid for that. And uh, it took me a second to get it, but I'm like, cool. I, I love that people are thinking that way. Um, and we have a few more knobs to pay for. Uh, so uh, please help us uh, finish up that project and, and get it fully funded uh, as we head into the, in, into the summer months. Uh, that would be, that'd be super awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Like I said, this May trip is going to be hopefully functional and then hopefully by July fully there with everything that we want for background and stuff like that. I imagine we'll run into hiccups and stuff in May to go, okay, that's not the best way to do that. Let's think about doing it this way or something along those lines. Uh, we will We will see how that goes. But I'm excited about it. Uh, I'm excited to see how much work Rich has got to do, <laughs> gonna be doing. Well, the next couple of weeks, I will do my best to stand there in the doorway and give direction. <laughs> That's I'm good at that. That's uh, There are a lot of people who are very good at that. <laughs> Anyways, all right. Thank you very much for watching the program today. We'll see you next time. God bless.